السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته إمام مبارك I'm going to recite from Surah Al-Qaf chapter 50 and the verse number is 31 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah.
Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah was salat was salam wa rasulullah. Wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ahtura sharika la wa ashadu anna muhammadin abdullahi wa rasuluh. All praises are due to God. All praises are due to God. All praises are due to God. Allahu Akbar. I bear witness that there is no God worthy of worship than the one God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I bear witness that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the final messenger of God, concluding the long chain of prophets and messengers that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestowed upon humanity, including Jesus and Moses and Abraham and Adam and all of his messengers and prophets. May God, God's peace and blessings be upon them all, inshallah. When I was younger, here at the Islamic Center of Southern California and part of the youth group here, we did an exercise where as part of the group, there was about maybe 20 or 30 of us in a room, two of us were asked to come up to the front and do an exercise, an experiment. And this experiment was conducted by then Dr. Aslam Abdullah, where one of us was asked to sit in a chair and be blindfolded, and the other person could stand and would stand next to the person who was blindfolded seated in the chair. And the person standing was told, okay, once the person is blindfolded, you can do whatever you want to that person for one minute without touching them. You can't touch them, but you can do whatever you want for one minute with the person sitting there in the chair blindfolded. It's for a sort of a peculiar idea. So the exercise commenced. The person standing, the person sitting, sitting and blindfolded, in the audience watching. And the person standing was uh, sort of uh, confused, wasn't exactly sure what this was meant. Were there any other instructions? Are we supposed to be doing something else? No, you can do whatever you want. And the audience was observing, and they would laugh, because they too were not clear on what's happening. And so the person standing would you know, maybe walk around. Is he supposed to observe something? Is is he supposed to see something on the person's head or something because he's sitting or whatever? And the audience would sort of laugh at uh, what uh, was happening. And then finally the minute was up. And when the minute was up, the roles became reversed. The person who was seated, seated and blindfolded was now going to stand. And the person who was standing was now going to be seated and blindfolded. And they too had a minute. They could do whatever they want to this person without touching them. And the minute started. And what happened was this person now who was standing, who was just prior seated and blindfolded, started walking around the person, started making funny gestures towards the person started being a lot more animated, a lot more aggressive, and the audience was laughing every time as well. Got bigger laughs than when the first person who was standing did it. And so this person became a lot more aggressive, a lot more animated, sort of, you know, did one of those things where he put his hand in his face but didn't touch him, that sort of thing. And then the minute uh, was over. Exercise was over. The two people went back to their seats in the audience, if you will, 
and let's understand what was attempting to be done. The purpose of this exercise was, and the focus of the exercise, was not so much on the person who was initially told to stand. The focus of the exercise, or the, pur the purpose of the exercise, is to observe how the person who was blindfolded, how they behaved after they became unblindfolded. And the purpose of the exercise was to speak to a larger phenomena, a larger point that we sometimes see, and not, not sometimes, that we have seen often in the world, of what happens when the oppressed get their rights and then potentially become the oppressor. When the oppressed get some freedom and become the oppressor. And that is not something that is just that in that fanciful exercise or in that two minute exercise or what have you. That is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about very explicitly in the Quran. It is something that is spoken about because alhamdulillah, for right or for wrong, it is part of human nature. And so this exercise that we went through was to also speak to, in some respects, the concept of power, the concept of authority, and how do you handle power, and hand, how do you handle authority when, once you have found it. Um, that's sort of the larger point that I'm trying to make. And I think it is applicable in the time in that we live in now, here in these United States, and indeed around the world, of what happens when those who have been under the thumb of authority, those who have faced oppression of some sort, now all of a sudden find themselves in a powerful position or in a politically powerful position. And by the way, I'm talking to more than just what's happening here in these United States. I think of the day, inshallah, when our Palestinian brothers and sisters are free, that they have liberty. I am thinking of a day, inshallah, when our Kashmiri brothers and sisters have liberation and are free when our Uyghur brothers and sisters are free, when all the names and all the regions of the world that subhanAllah Muslims are now facing oppression, how they will react once they have their liberty, once they have their freedom, once they have power. Will they deal with it responsibly? And as I mentioned before, uh, this threshold, uh, and let me just now speak to the verses in the Quran that speak to this point. And there are at least several, subhanAllah. The first one is in Surah Al-Shura, uh, the 42nd Surah of the, of the Quran. It says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. But remember that an attempt to requit evil may too become an evil. For verily, he does not love the evildoers. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, in verse 190, it says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Fight in the cause of Allah only against those who wage war against you. But do not exceed the limits. Allah does not like the transgressors. And in Surah Al-Fusilat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, 
Since good and evil cannot be equal, repel evil with something that is better. And lo, between him, between he and you, uh, which there may be enmity, may you may actually become as though you were close and true friends. Sadaqallah al-Nadim. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. How powerful a reminder these verses are. And as mu'mins, as believers, inshallah, these are verses that we just don't discard, despite the times that we may be in, despite the feelings and emotions that we may have. They speak to the reality and to, inshallah, what we should all have, I should say, a balanced mindset, a balanced attitude, one that we must adopt when we are fighting injustice, one that we must have in our souls and provide guidance to our souls when we as human beings are inherently weak and we can swerve off course. Let's, let's explore some of these verses in a little bit of detail here. First, the verse from Surah Al-Baqarah. Fight in the cause of Allah and only against those who wage war against you, but do not exceed the limits. Allah does not like the transgressors. Um, and the other verse that I'll also reference here an attempt at requiting evil do not requit evil with more evil and I would say to some of us and to myself does this verse need any explanation you don't fight evil with evil you don't fight bad with doing bad and there's really a fine example that we see in modern times, in relatively modern times, in what we saw happening in South Africa when Nelson Mandela became the president of South Africa. And for those of you who, of course, many of you obviously know who Nelson Mandela is, he was in jail for decades, and he was released from jail at one point, and then he became the president of South Africa. Here is a prime example of what we're talking about. A man who went from being powerless to becoming the most powerful in the nation. And there's a story that's circulating around social media now about something that happened after he became president that exemplifies what I'm trying to make a point about here today. And it goes like this. He says, after I became president, I asked one day some members of my close protection to stroll with me into the city and to have lunch at a restaurant and we sat down in one of those restaurants and we asked for some food and after the while the waiter brought us our requests and I noticed that there was somebody sitting in front of us in front of our table waiting for their food as well so I told one of the soldiers go and ask that person go and ask that person to come and join us for a meal and to sit by my side and I began to eat and he was brought his food and he began to eat. And while he was eating, his hands were trembling. They were constantly trembling. And the man finished his food and he asked to be excused from the table and left. The soldier that I asked to bring, to bring the man to me, I, she said to me, that man seemed quite sick. He was constantly trembling. He, even as he ate, Nelson Mandela said, no, not at all. This man was the guard in the prison 
in which I was in. And often, after the torture I was subjected to, I used to scream. I used to ask for a little bit of water. This man who sat at our table, he used to come every time and instead of giving me water, would urinate on my head. So I found him scared, trembling, and expecting me to reciprocate now, at least in the same way, either by torturing him or imprisoning him, now that, now that I am the president of the state of South Africa. But this is not my character, nor part of my ethics. The mentality of retaliation destroys states, and the, while the mentality of tolerance builds nations. My dear brothers and sisters, these are profound words and behaviors of a leader, and in line with the Islamic spirit, the Quranic spirit that we found, that we find in the verses that we read in the Quran. The second verse I want to highlight. Fight only against those who wage war against you. This is a clear guidance from, the, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a guidance against collective punishment, collective retaliation, against generalizations and sweeping up people and groups that may have somehow be affiliated, but not, a fighting, not fighting against you. In other words, deal with the unjust matter deal with those who are actively fighting against you. And in the third, in the other verse that it says, do not exceed the limits. Allah does not like the transgressors. No matter how righteous our indignation may be, no matter how we fight, we cannot transgress the bounds of what is right. So we are now in a time where we are fighting, rightfully so, against police brutality. And in doing so, it is important that it be done, but must be done in the proper way. We can't make up stories. We can't say things that are untrue. We can't deliberately twist matters and say, you know what, that's okay. I'm working for a greater good. I'm working for a greater cause. The means justify the ends. No. For us as Muslims, the means do not justify the ends. Because when you say such a thing, you're inherently distrusting what God can do for you if you follow his path. And again, for our Palestinian brothers and sisters, when we fight for the Palestinian cause, inshallah, we can't use that as a way to malign Jews or even Israelis. Same thing that can be said for any of the number of causes that our Muslim brothers and sisters are working in and around the world. And in the second part of the khutbah, we'll explore some more examples from the Quran and from the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah, ask Allah for whatever you want. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salam wa rasulullah wa ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ahtara sharika la my dear brothers and sisters, alhamdulillah, in this nation now, in the past few weeks and few months, we are in a period of profound change. We are in an important state of evolution for our country. Confederate statues are coming down. 
Mississippi is the final state that has removed the Confederate flag from its statue, from its uh, flag. There are very tectonic cultural and political, uh, sorry, and practical shifts in policing that are underway. And in my personal opinion, in this period of change, this period of upheaval, it is a needed change. It is a needed upheaval. This is a very healthy um, period that our country is undergoing. And I think it's an important one. And it comes at a time when the demographics of our nation are also changing. Uh, an analysis of the US, census, of US census, data, census data conducted by the Brookings Institution and by the, uh, uh, the Pew Research Poll and other research organizations, it shows that our country is becoming more and more uh, minorities. In other words, by the year 2045, minorities will be a, make up a larger percentage of the United States than white Americans. And alhamdulillah, this diversity in our country is a good thing. But it is going to pose challenges, and I think we are seeing aspects of that challenge now. And it is, it is a good time to remind ourselves of a couple of things. That our nation should be governed by principles and not by an ethnicity or a race. And number two, any group that is in a position of authority or power will typically and instinctively fight to keep that power. They will fight to keep that power if they feel that there is a possibility that they may lose it. And I guess one of the main things I'm trying to convey in this khutbah is that when power starts to transfer, when authority begins to transition, when justice begins to be served, we as Muslims have an obligation to ensure that we do not replace one bad apple with another. That our message, our, our faith, dictate that we do not repel evil with more evil. It is up to us to elevate and evolve our nation. For us as Muslims, we have a very unique role in these United States. Though we number maybe about one to two percent of the population, our message, our faith, has much to offer. It can be a voice of wisdom rather than a voice of shrill. We should be known, yes, for protesting for, uh, for rights, but be working not to be recognized, not for our own egos, but for building something that is common, that is good for the common, and uh, something that is new and better for our nation. I mentioned Nelson Mandela a few moments ago, but of course we have the supreme exemplar in our Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and what he did and didn't do when he came back to Mecca. You know, we all know the story where he was, per he you know, living his life in Mecca. He had to flee Mecca to go to Medina. And then at, at one point, then he came back to Mecca. After a number of years, it was, and after Islam had become the prevalent faith on the Arabian Peninsula, he came back to Mecca. And we don't have in five minutes enough time to go through the course of the whole process, but essentially he came back 
to the city of Mecca to the pagan Quraysh who had been fighting him for decades now and had been uh, taunting him and had been oppressing him and had been uh, fighting the faith of Islam. And the Prophet and the Muslims came back triumphant. And when they entered the city, the pagan Quraysh expected a bloodbath. This was the tradition of the time, that to the victors went the power and the authority and things of this nature could have happened and did happen. And they were expecting there to be nothing different when Rasulullah came into Mecca triumphant. No, that did not happen. When Rasulullah came back into Mecca at that time, there was no pillaging. There was no looting. There was no taking of ransoms. Sallallahu knew that these people had been defeated, that the faith of Islam and his leadership was now recognized. And he knew that the faith of Islam, in order to have a chance and to grow, needed to be something that came not to bring harm to people, but to elevate their souls. And so his actions then, his behaviors then, reflected that verse, the final verse that I want to reference uh, from the Quran in the 34th surah in um, Surah Al-Fusilat. And it says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, since good and, evil, good and evil cannot be equal, repel evil with something that is better. And, and lo, between him who and thyself was an enmity, may then become as though he had always been close unto thee and a true friend. This verse, subhanAllah, is telling us that rather than act out of vengeance, rather than act out of anger, rather than act out of your passions that may be unchecked, repel it with something better. And then here's, here's the part that has, has really touched my soul, which is that the person who you think is your enemy you may actually end up being friends. SubhanAllah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, if you trust his guidance, if you trust what he is trying to convey in the Quran, or what he is conveying in the Quran, it is a healing for our own souls, for the rage and the anger that we may be feeling, justifiably so, but acting in accordance with what his will is, is being put forth in the Quran, the, f the person who we are raging against, if we do our job properly, may in fact turn out to be our friend. SubhanAllah. And that is in fact in, in a couple of dis different cases and stories from uh, the time the Prophet ﷺ went back into Mecca. Uh, that held true. And so some of the pagan Quraysh, he treated them, alhamdulillah, very uh, charitably. And not only did they come to Islam, but they became deep and strong believers in faith. So as we take another step here in our country to stamp out the effects of racism, the generational impact of racism, as we work to imp improve how police departments across the country do their jobs, let us as Muslims who are participating in this movement remind ourselves what our faith teaches about how we should go about doing this in such times, and let us implement and do accordingly. O oh Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, please guide us to the straight path.
Please help us avoid wrongful behavior and sin. O Allah, please help our community and our nation be more cohesive and develop stronger bonds. Please help us grow together with the intent of serving in your way. O Allah, please place your light above us, below us, in front of us, and in back of us. Please bless us with emotional intelligence and wisdom as we seek to lead a life pleasing you, inshallah. Comment to salah. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Ashhadu an la ilaha illa Allah, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah, Hayya ala salati, Hayya ala al-falah, Qad qamati al-salatu, Qad qamati al-salat, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. 
Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawm Al-Din Iyaka Na'budu wa Iyaka Nasta'in Ihdina Sirat Al-Mustadim Sirat Al-Ladhina An'amta Alayhim Ghayri Al-Maghubi Alayhim ولا تستوي الحسنة ولا السيئة ادفع بالتي أحسن فإذا الذي بينك وبينه عداوة كأنه ولي حميم وما يلقاها إلا الذين صبروا وما يلقاها الشيطان نزغ فاستعذ بالله إنه هو السميع العليم الله أكبر سمع الله لمن حمده الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر الله أكبر السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة We're going to pray Salatul Janazah, inshallah. And the Salatul Janazah is for our brother Michael Blackshire. And he was the husband of our beloved sister Samir Hathout. Uh, Samar Hathout. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless his soul. And I extend my condolences to the family members 
and the funeral is going to be on Monday at Rose Hill Memorial Park, but there's a note due to current situation with COVID-19. Uh, the Islamic Center and the family kindly request that only family attends. So we thank you for your understanding, inshallah. We're gonna pray salatu janazah, and then after the prayer, I have a few announcements, inshallah. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala Allahu Akbar. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Let us pray for our brother. And also today there was a funeral. Our sister Nassim Husseini passed away. We just did uh, her burial. And please also keep her in your prayers. And then also Sister Fatimata and Sister Erika is not feeling well. Please keep them in your prayers, inshallah. Allahumma shfi mardana warham mawtana. Allahumma fi al-mu'minina wal-mu'minat wal-muslimina wal-muslimat. Al-ahiyai minhum wal-amwat. Inna ka sami'um qalimum mujibu al-da'awat. O Allah, you are the Lord of the whole universe. You are the most merciful, most compassionate. Please give healings, quick, quick healings for those who are sick, and please bless the souls of those who passed away. Please forgive their shortcomings and mistakes and accept them in the highest level of paradise. Ameen. Alhamdulillahi So first I would like to thank our khatib, Brother Omar Ricci, for this beautiful khutbah. Thank you, Jazakumullah khair. And also I would like to quickly remind our weekly programs, tomorrow at 3.30 a.m. we will have our golden hour the uh, Tahajjud and Fajr prayer via Zoom, please join us, inshallah. And then food pantry in the same day at 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. If you know anyone who is in need of help, please inform them and they can come and benefit from this beautiful service. You know, the food pantry uh, increased the number of people uh, that they can serve. Now it's all the way up to 400 people weekly, inshallah. So please take advantage of this beautiful service. And then Sunday, we will have tafsir at 11.30 a.m. Uh, with uh, Brother Mahmoud Wasiq. And then his topic is going to be the difference between ahuf and qiraat. So he's going to be talking about the modes of recitation and dialect. And then right after that at 12 p.m., uh, Dr. Zaman Stanza is, is going to be talking about how Islam became civilization. So uh, you can follow these via Zoom and then Facebook also. As you all know, we have weekly programs in the evenings at 9 p.m. via Zoom and Facebook. Join us, inshallah. And uh, there are a few dates that I would like to kindly ask you to say the date. The first one is Hidden Figures Tracing the History of Muslim Women Scholars, and this is starting on July 19th. 
uh, at 12 uh, p.m. all the way to 1.30 p.m. Uh, via Zoom, and then it'll be uh, connected to also Facebook. We have great scholars such as Dr. Esma Barlas, uh, Sister Gail Kennard, and Dr. Esma Saeed, and then Dr. Emma Wadud. So please join us for this one. And for this, you need to register. You can find all the information on our uh, newsletter. And then this important, another important uh, class is coming up. Uh, this is called Hadhud Legacy Lectures, Introduction to the Science of Hadith, starting on July 20th all the way to August uh, 20th. There will be 11 different sessions. And Dr. Uh, Yasser Hadhud will be teaching this. The Hadhud Legacy Lectures is our new offering meant to both commemorate and revive the emphasis of two of our founding leaders, Hassan and Mahir Hadhud, uh, may Allah bless their souls, on the need for a, you know, for, for a true understanding of Islam and its original sources. For this also, you need to register. Please find the detail either from our website, islamiccenter.com, or from the newsletter. Uh, and tentatively, our Eid is going to be on July, Eid al-Adha, July 31st. Uh, the prayer is going to, the Tekirat will start at 8.15 a.m. from the center via Facebook. Uh, and then the prayers, uh, and then the, the, the prayer and the khutbah will be at 8.30 a.m. insha'Allah. So these are my announcements. And two quick things. Uh, we have mental health services given by Dr. Heather and a spiritual, uh, you know, counseling given by me. Please, if you are in need of help, you can always reach out to us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless you all and have a nice day inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Gracias.